Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientist's Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. This episode is brought to you by Selecta, researchers' trusted provider of functional genomic solutions since 2016. Selecta's portfolio includes products and services for loss-of-function and gain-of-function screening, including CRISPR, RNAi, lentiviral barcode libraries and constructs, as well as cell engineering, spatial profiling, and high-throughput transcriptome profiling services. To learn more about their products, please visit Selecta's website. To understand how the gut perceives and communicates information to the brain, scientists are taking a deeper look at the sensory cells lining the gut, using cutting-edge techniques such as single-cell sequencing. While there are challenges and limitations to single-cell sequencing, researchers are becoming more adept at integrating the latest sequencing technology with complementary methods to answer complex research questions, advance our understanding of health and disease, and develop new treatment approaches. In this episode, narrated by Nikki Spige, Iris Kulbatsky from the Scientist's Creative Services team spoke with Maya Kelber, a sensory neurogastroenterologist and assistant professor at Duke University School of Medicine, to learn more. Humans and animals experience the world through their senses. They also rely on highly specialized biological sensors to track the ever-changing landscape of their internal world and transmit this information to the brain, which shapes their interactions with the physical world. Specialized sensory cells in the gut share synapses with a network of neurons that communicate with the brain using a common repertoire of neurotransmitters, relaying information about conditions in the gut within milliseconds. For example, neuropod cells reside in the upper portion of the gut and influence feeding behavior. While humans and animals use their taste buds to sense the sweetness of both sugar and artificial sweetener, it turns out that neuropod cells orchestrate a preference for real sugar in the gut. To understand how humans and animals discern nutritive sugar sources from those devoid of calories, Maya Kelber used cutting-edged techniques, including single-cell sequencing, electrical recordings, organoid cultures, and optogenetics, to examine how sensory cues from neuropod cells in the gut guide these feeding preferences. So table sugar, what we put in our coffee and things like that, is called sucrose. It's made up of two components, glucose and fructose. Glucose is this nutritive sugar that we are then able to sense and it tastes sweet. And so when it comes to sugar and artificial sweetener, we're sensing the sweet. And on the tongue, a lot of us would say that they taste very similar or exactly the same. But in the gut, the gut is actually able to discern the difference between what is a nutritive sugar and what is an artificial sweetener. When it comes to sensing versus discerning, so in sensing, you're able to tell something is there. For example, there are certain wavelengths that are outside of the visible spectrum, so we can't sense them. That doesn't mean that they're not there. It just means that our eyes are not capable of sensing them. But discerning means that I can tell the difference between one stimuli that I'm sensing and another. It matters a lot if you are a hunter-gatherer or you're a starving animal and you need that caloric input in order to survive. Let's say that you're out there 
and you're looking for some kind of calorie to get you through your day, and instead of happening upon a blackberry bush, you happen upon a stevia plant. Well, it's very important for your body to know which one is actually going to give you nutritional value and which one may just be playing a joke on you. To understand how this information reaches the brain, Kelber and her team recorded electrical signals traveling along the vagus nerve, the major nerve that runs from the gut to the brain. Using electrical recordings of the whole nerve, as well as the individual neurons that make up this nerve bundle. The recordings from the whole nerve demonstrated a response to sugar as well as artificial sweetener. But recordings from individual neurons uncovered some subtle details about the nature of the signals reaching the brain, underscoring the complexity of the system. The vagus nerve, it's my favorite nerve. It's this wandering nerve that innervates all of the viscera, your heart, your lungs, all of the gut. And it sends that information directly into the brain stem. So it's this freeway between the brain and the gut. And we can record the general activity of that freeway by doing these vagal nerve recordings or whole nerve recordings. And what we found is that when we look at the whole nerve, so total activation across all the different neurons, we do see a response to both sugar and artificial sweetener. But then when we look at the individual neurons, there are neurons that respond to sucrose and there are neurons that respond to sucralose. The two populations actually don't overlap. And this indicates that there actually might be two different pathways that these neurons then in the brainstem are projecting to two different areas. And the sucrose ones are telling the animal, yes, I should eat this. Single cell sequencing is particularly useful for studying the neurons of the vagus nerve because the technique is well-suited for populations of cells that have distinct functions and characteristics. Setting up a successful single-cell sequencing experiment depends on a clearly defined research question and an understanding of the specific type of cells being investigated, as well as the desired sequencing depth. Kelper used single-cell sequencing to understand how vagus neurons that innervate the gut and receive the signals for sugar versus artificial sweetener differ from one another based on the genomic signatures of cell surface markers. Deep sequencing, the ability to sequence a specific genomic region of a cell many times, can be a limiting factor in experimental design. But Kelber explained that with the help of bioinformatics, even relatively shallow sequencing was sufficient to gather robust genomic information about the specific neuronal surface markers of these vagus neurons. Single cell sequencing really allows us to get at that complexity in a way that bulk sequencing doesn't quite get it. And so single cell sequencing to satisfactorily identify these neurons But for example, if you were really wanted to get into what each neuron is, so if you wanted to then go in and say, I want a depth so great that each neuron is its own group, which we have the power to do. One challenge is these neurons, their size is pretty variable. They range anywhere from 15 to 50 microns in diameter. We used this platform, which allowed us to check for doublets, which is really the main concern, thinking that two cells is actually one cell. Then you have to use these bioinformatics tools or filtering tools after the fact to pick out these cells so that you don't count two cells together as a single cell. The neuropod cell's location and the way in which they identify glucose versus artificial sweetener allow them to differentiate between the two. Neuropod cells are strategically situated in the gut lining, with one end interfacing with the gut and making direct contact with ingested food, 
and the other contacting neurons that signal information to the brain. They are equipped with specialized receptors on their surface called sodium glucose transporters, cell membrane proteins that transport glucose into cells. To sense artificial sweetener, neuropod cells use different cell membrane receptors that do not transport glucose. These are the same receptors that the tongue uses to sense sweet. Together, these elements communicate in an intricate symphony to discern real sugar from artificial sweetener and guide feeding choices. Kelber and her team used single-cell sequencing to identify the expression of these receptors in neuropod cells and proteins that are used for synapsing and signaling information to neurons. An artificial sweetener doesn't have the right match with the sodium glucose transporter, and therefore it isn't able to be sensed by these. Being able to sense with different receptors means that the cell can actually react in different ways depending on what it's sensing. We found that the signal that these neuropod cells are releasing in response to glucose is this neurotransmitter called glutamate, whereas the signal that they're releasing in response to artificial sweetener is a different neurotransmitter called ATP. These two different neurotransmitters, these two different signals are telling the neurons which stimuli the animal should be paying more attention to and which one it should be consuming. Thanks to an abundant supply of stem cells, the gut has a remarkable ability to regenerate in response to ongoing exposure to foreign substances. This feature allowed Kelber to isolate and propagate these cells in a culture dish to produce gut organoids, miniature guts made of clusters of cells that together exhibit many of the same molecular biological features as the intact gut. Using these gut organoid systems derived from mice and routine human endoscopy samples, Kelber assessed how the neutropod cells behave in response to sugar and artificial sweetener, specifically whether they release glutamate only in response to sugar. So we found that that does hold true in these little mini gut systems. But what's really powerful is that we can get samples from people who undergo endoscopy. If they say, yes, we're willing to contribute to science, we could take a little bit of those cells and we can grow human organoids. And what we found is that glutamate being released only to nutritive sugar holds true for human organoids as well as mouse. This means that this pathway that we found is potentially a similar pathway between our animal model, which is the mouse, and humans. So how it is that our gut is detecting and discerning sugar. Kelber then took her investigation a step further by studying the cellular communication system in a genetically engineered mouse model. Given the option between drinking water sweetened with sugar versus artificial sweetener, mice exhibit a distinct preference for consuming the water sweetened with sucrose. Having established this, Kelber and her colleagues developed a way to use optogenetics, a technique for activating or silencing specific cells using light, in the mouse gut. They genetically modified mice to express a light-inhibiting channel in their neuropod cells that blocks the cell's activity when stimulated with light. They implanted a specially designed flexible light fiber into the mice's gut and then gave them the choice of water sweetened with sugar versus water sweetened with artificial sweetener. The mice who had their neuropod cells silenced optogenetically no longer exhibited a preference for real sugar, drinking equally from both options. I just love that optogenetics experiment. We had to work with the scientists at MIT to develop this flexible fiber that can then move with the motion of the gut so it doesn't disrupt normal gut function. And it was only by developing this fiber that we were actually able to test this optogenetic experiment in mice. Glutamate is a main neurotransmitter. There are glutamate receptors all over the place. So our challenge 
was to pharmacologically block these receptors, specifically at the intestinal wall. We used a very, very low concentration of receptor blockers. Blocking it at that level blocked the animal's ability to discern between sucrose and sucralose, so the sugar and the artificial sweetener. To make sure that that blocking was very localized to the small intestine, we took that low dose that I had mentioned before, and we had administered it systemically. We saw no effect on the animal's preference for sucrose versus sucralose. And so what this experiment showed is just how specific that neurotransmitter was acting at the luminal wall. And so that was one of the funnest puzzles that we worked out. In the future, Kelber intends to apply single-cell sequencing to probe deeper into the receptors and pathways of sucrose-sensing versus sucralose-sensing neurons. She envisions that deep sequencing will enable the characterization of the individual neurons that respond to sugar versus artificial sweetener. But I could certainly see a future where you might want to go that much into detail to find out not only in general what the population is doing, but maybe even get to the level of specificity that they have, say, in smaller models like the worm, like in C. elegans, where each neuron has its own name, its own function, its own characteristic. I think that we'll be able to get to that level where then we have this nodose ganglion that has about 2,000 neurons in it, and we can say from 1 to 2,000 what their names are and what their function is. The single cell sequencing allows us to not only tell like what one receptor is, but what's the whole profile of the cell. What are all the pathways that it's involved in, which gives us information as to what their overall function might be and how they could react to different stimuli. Overall, this study provides valuable information about the differences between sugar and artificial sweetener and how they are perceived in the body. While marketed for decades as a deterrent to obesity, artificial sweeteners may be suboptimal at preventing obesity because they cannot override the basic biological mechanism of sweet discernment. While they may be tricking our taste buds, our neuropod cells and evolutionary drive for survival know better. We think that we're fooling ourselves, but we're not fooling our subconscious. So we're not fooling the cells that really matter when it comes to driving what we eat. Our gut is actually driving our desire to eat, and we're not used to thinking about that. But what we're finding is that this sense that's just lying in the inside of the abdomen is actually controlling how it is that we're making these decisions. And it's controlling them very subconsciously, but we may not have the language to talk about it. And this is what's so much fun about sensory neurobiology, is that here's the sensory transduction system that's in the gut, that's really driving maybe the satisfaction or the gratification that you get from food. And so that, to me, is a really intriguing area of research that this has opened up. And just in general, in the ingestive fields, this idea that it's not just about what you're seeing, what you're smelling, what you're tasting, but it's also about what is your gut sensing. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Speich. Please join us next month as we learn about the challenges and recent advances in universal vaccine development. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.